Hi, from 22 North, I'm Gary Walker and this is Enlighten. Enlighten is a podcast exploring the future of work. Each episode will chat about the latest news, discuss different topics and look to interview people who have experimented with new ways of working. Hi, Gary Walker here. Welcome you to another episode of Enlighten presented by 22 North. Now, we've interviewed some really interesting folks recently, and I'm sure this episode will be a great addition to those. My guest is David Breer, CEO of 11FS. Now, you've probably heard of 11FS. If you've not, where have you been? Either way, you're in for a treat. Growing up, David wanted to be a sports star, but his knee let him down. However, it's led him on to be part of his own amazing team at 11FS. We discussed David's passions as a child, his career journey from going behind enemy lines to leading a challenger consultancy. You'll hear about all the key ingredients to create a company full of talented, passionate and positive people. These guys really are rock stars of fintech, they're challenging the way things are done and more importantly they are executing as well. As you'll learn, I hope you enjoy the conversation. The first question, and I'm going to get this out of the way because we've kind of, I think I've teased you on social media about it before, why Norwich City? <laughs> I'm going to start there. So yeah. All right. So um, so my so from like literally I'm you know not born from around this way. You know I'm not um, the accent definitely doesn't uh, doesn't sort of give you uh, give you the impression that I'm from Norfolk. But uh, uh, moved down here when I was five. Um, so my my dad uh, worked for uh, Amico. Um, so, uh, you know, with the the big sort of gas uh, terminal and everything that's in Norfolk and connecting Zeebrugger and all these different types of things that was happening. So, so yeah, I'm ju- I'm, I just always think it's like you got to get behind the local team, right? So, um, so for me, albeit really, I guess my first love is uh, Doncaster Rovers, then, uh, you know, Norwich City is uh, is the team that I kind of really get behind now. Uh, we've got a, we've got a couple of season tickets. I, I try and get along to every game that I can do and, uh, uh, it's good, you know, yeah, and you honestly, the boys well. have done us proud this year. Yeah, you're doing really well. well that should have been promoted, hasn't it? So. And my, and my, you know, my son Josh has uh, just turned seven now, so he's like um, a little bit more kind of getting into football. So being able to see Norwich up in the Premier League next year is going to be, um, yeah, that'll be awesome. Be great. Yeah. You know, he he bought a set of um, Tops football cards uh, a couple really? of weeks ago. And it was like, why am I not getting any Norwich players, Daddy? You know, and I was like, oh well, long story, buddy. <laughs> but like next year, yeah, yeah, yeah. next year. But uh, but it's good, yeah. yeah. I forgot about those sticker albums and tops cards. They were like awesome back in the day. Um, but yeah, yeah, my memory of Norwich was um, obviously coming from Glasgow. I don't have much um, knowledge about Norwich City Football Club other than I think I remember watching them versus Bayern Munich on television. Like it was a kind of flashback earlier from like the early nineties or around that period. So yeah, away UEFA for cup, right? That that, that was uh, it, yeah. At, at volley and uh, yeah, there's uh, there's been I mean there's there's been some highs and lows, right? Um, but I do you know what? I really love how um, the team uh, and actually I love how the club is actually run. You know, yeah. Dealey Smith has done such a phenomenal job with. Uh, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Dealey is a uh, an avid sort of seventies, uh, eighties, nineties uh, celebrity chef. You know, arguably she's probably one of the the earliest ones. But the amount of money and the amount of passion that she's brought to the club has been phenomenal. Yeah, and if anyone wants to, yeah, if anyone wants to YouTube her motivational speech, I think it was at halftime a few years ago. That's definitely worth a watch. <laughs> it was. I, I mean, I think uh, it was powered by red wine, but yeah. it, was, uh, it was pretty motivational for sure. Yeah, it came from the heart. That was the main thing. So <laughs> it did. 
Well, growing up as a kid, I was very close at one point at 17 signing for Ipswich, and I'm really glad now I never because this might have gone differently. Yeah, you may have just hung up on this conversation. Yeah, but a lot more awkward, right? But uh, but yeah, I mean, I um, I I I, like I say, I love the uh, I love the club. I I don't take those rivalries too seriously, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think it's um, it's amazing how many people um, how many people really sort of believe that you know and uh, it's funny sort of growing up I um, I played pretty much every sport other than football right. um, and um, you know when you um, go away and watch rugby games or basketball games you've got kind of fans kind of all intermingled and yeah, it's, it's uh, much more you know it's civilized. kind of one yeah it's one big sort of uh, sort of celebration of the sport whereas football it's um, it's just amazing that it brings out such a, a different side of people you know yeah no totally well you don't need to um, you don't need to teach me about that growing up in Glasgow so uh, that's very true very true yeah, yeah. yeah yeah it's pretty severe I've seen people's weekends ruined by a football result and stuff so it's crazy yeah. so um but yeah so you you actually played a bit of basketball don't you I read I'm sure I read that somewhere so yeah yeah you know I, I played like 11 different county sports so um there wasn't really too many ones that I uh, I didn't sort of partake in from you know 100 meters 200 meters like basketball badminton swimming all sorts of stuff so uh you know i was a very sporty kid to be honest with you. And, and honestly i think that's had more impact on me uh, and actually the things that i'm doing in business now than pretty much anything else quite frankly because uh, i, I just, honestly genuinely just think sports people make better better business people uh, i think they fundamentally know that actually it's about team and talent uh, and actually uh, not only um, having the the best people for the for the team, but fundamentally actually understanding that actually it requires a uh, a real balance through that as well. You know, there's no point having uh, eleven strikers on a football pitch type thing. It just doesn't do your defense any good. So, um, so for me, I, I like I say I think I learned more. Uh, you know, scrabbling around on a Sunday uh, on a rugby pitch or. Uh, you know, uh, practicing crossovers to uh, play basketball than I than I sort of did anything else. Really. Yeah, it kind of comes back to like um, I was talking. I mentioned I spoke to Ross um, from your company on Friday, and we were chatting a lot about about the sports kind of analogies. And that was one thing that came up. It's kind of like people who do the doing and they don't talk the talk. So it's quite interesting that. I mean, we were talking about, um, so I'm quite a massive Formula One fan, um, and I was talking about when Red Bull Racing entered Formula One and and the kind of. It's very similar to what's going on with incumbents and all the business at the moment where Red Bull Racing sort of entered 2005. They hired a team principal who used to be a racer, Christian Horner. But what was quite funny about it was when they entered, it was like, well, you're a sports drink company. Why are you, why are you looking at this? They actually laughed at for being like the party team. They started hiring really young, innovative guys who were looking at aerodynamics in a totally different way. There were... Like, yeah, they were funded, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that having Helmut Marko behind you and, and Dietrich Matovich isn't going to, like, give you benefits. But um, what was amazing was when they started to progress as a team, they attracted some really big top talent as well, like people who had the shackles on them, like Adrian Newey, who's a aerodynamist. He came across from McLaren, who were very corporate. And what's amazing now is, like, you look, well, 14 years later, and Red Bull have won multiple world championships. They've still kept this core and then you look at Ferrari and McLaren who are still very corporate struggling to win titles it's quite fascinating that sort of and um sort of paradox and, and yeah the difference there so yeah yeah it's uh yeah. 
Well, it's 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 amazing how many times um, you know in organisations people just keep doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome, right? Um, especially in the face of people coming in and doing things so dramatically differently. Um, you know, it's 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 funny. There's there's lots of parallels of that into kind of what we're doing with Eleven FS, if I'm honest here. And actually, you know, what we um, try to do, you know, we we sort of tell people this. It's um, a couple of years into the company, we started getting a little bit more. Um, sort of self-reverential you know it was like uh, actually well this is going well like what are we doing and uh, like what are we what's not working what's working yeah. um, and actually you start sort of assessing a little bit um you know what you've done and the moves you've made and and um really like there was so many things that we were looking at and but it all kind of came down to just unleashing talent yeah. um from our perspective it was it was really being in a situation where uh, you bring in people and and find a way of actually getting out of their way all of the stuff that big corporate organizations had actually inhibited them from doing. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that's um, having the potential to, you know, uh, ask questions or say why or uh, really be able to kind of move at the speed that actually they are capable of doing. Um so for us, really, like I say, with 11FS, that's that's our strap line. You know, the whole thing internally, it's like, how do we unleash talent? How do we put in processes that make people more effective? How do we bring in more people who complement the ones that we've got? Uh, you know, using sporting metaphors, like I say, how do we make sure we've got the, you know, the right players on the pitch? Uh, and not only on the pitch, but in the position that they actually feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you keep making sure those, uh, you know, those square pegs are in those square holes? Because... You know the the times when actually people can get frustrated or they can get to feel uncomfortable are usually when they're either pushed outside of a comfort zone that they're not comfortable leaving, um, and that's not for everybody. You know, everybody. Some people like to be, um, you know, scared a little bit about what they're doing. I definitely do. I'm a, you know, the point where actually everything uh, starts becoming. Uh, too easy is the time where i'm like what's next what's the yeah, next level yeah. um but definitely that's not the case for for everybody um so it's one of those ones I, I i feel like um again it's for me it's it's just sensible stuff that you learn when you've done sporting stuff yeah. is, uh, it's sensible yeah, stuff that not not a lot of people are doing though <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> I, I mean i mean do you know what that's the thing about common sense right i think it's just uh, it's badly labeled um yeah. most people don't have common sense uh and actually you know the more you can just kind of not overthink things uh you know the more you can act and the less you uh you know think and if i'm honest you like again uh, not wanting to kind of overplay the sporting stuff but you know you do you do all of the um you know the the training and the uh the the practice kind of off field yeah so that when you're in the in the midst of the game you're not thinking well you know should i pass here should i pass there it becomes instinctive yeah um and that's actually, I think, the best way that business is kind of made. It's not about stepping back and making three-month decisions. It's about making decisions and moving forwards. Yeah. Um, you know, I always say it's like my my whole you know metaphor for life is just always falling forwards. Um, because for me, it's like, well, I don't mind failing, but I'm going to be failing in the direction of success. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, yeah, that's uh, I think that's me in a nutshell, quite frankly. Yeah, but it's good that you link it to sports because, like, even bringing it back to that Red Bull piece, I mean, I've watched a few races this season where they go for it. They don't hide behind strategy. If they see an opportunity, they go for it. And you know what? They'll hold their hands up and they'll explain, well, this is a rationale. Didn't work. And then the other teams are getting blamed for being too risk adverse. So, like, it, it totally is relevant um, in terms of trying to be a well, bit more innovative, trying things. Well, in it. 
And a big part of that is putting your hands up when stuff don't work, you know, doesn't work. Um, you know, transparency kind of cuts both ways, right? It can be um, it can be painful when actually you're, you know, you're saying we tried something and it didn't work. But equally, if actually you find something does work, then the transparency that you can bring to something and the the insights of the offering that that can bring to other people to kind of get involved with the either through the community or kind of other organizations that can kind of benefit from that. Um, you know, I think that's in part a big part of what why we've been successful at my view is that uh, we really try and not make this uh, exclusively about uh, about us, really. You know, how can we do things that fundamentally sort of give back to the community in terms of the things that we're, uh, we're doing, whether it's, you know, research reports or the podcasts or, you know, the events that we put on or whatever. Um, you know, we're super proud of just playing a part in the community. And because of that, actually, we're excited to keep finding new and interesting people to shine a light on to, um, you know, hopefully benefit from the, the same types of things that we do. And, you know, the ecosystem, particularly that we've got in the UK is is phenomenal for that. You know, it's um, I think it's something to be super, super proud of. And um, and most of the time, that's why uh, that's why we're really out there and moving stuff around when uh, when actually if all we were doing was like, you know, buy this thing or do this thing, then uh, I just don't think we would get the same response to from, you know, the community that we do really. Yeah, no, totally, I totally agree. I think um, there was a time in the previous incumbent I was in and it was kind of like two and a half, three years and we were shipping a lot of stuff and we we're getting a lot of things in people's hands and just as you naturally would do in those types of environments like pivot or ditch and the one thing I always remain and I used to say to our guys was like, be proud of getting stuff out there like people hide for two years behind the strategy we've got things out there we've learned from yeah. it and you know what not not everything's worked we've had some painful ones but we've learned a hell of a lot as well and we've, we've put that to good practice so like you guys definitely showcase that which is great and um actually coming to the podcast which i was going to talk about a little later but i'll talk about it now because it's relevant but um i think it'd be great for our listeners just to hear a little bit about like you guys went or have got to number one and you've got fintech insider blockchain you've got insuretech you've got after dark that's spun off which is all like amazing and you've almost created this people gravitating towards you guys and pulling this together but i kind of liked are you able to share like how you guys started that because i think that's quite powerful in terms of there's no shiny studios it was like hey let's let's just try this and get out there Are are you able to share a little bit about how you started that yeah yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like podcast started not long after the company started, and uh, and actually, if, if I'm honest with you, like we um, we never really expected it to be as big as it is now. You know, if you if you kind of go and look at the charts, or you know, we're downloaded in I think it's 183 countries a week. Uh, you know, the amount of inbound we get from people. Uh, you know, the impact that that's had for people sort of getting into the industry, or uh, you know, getting them through sort of tough times, or you know, just giving them a bit of an education on things has been amazing. You know, I think actually we've, you know, we've heard from a few people that just getting on the podcast has really sort of set up a different uh, perspective of them for their career, which has been phenomenal. But yeah. honestly, it just started with a bunch of friends chatting in a pub. Yeah. Uh, and really like the, the the thing that we kind of got to was it was, uh, there was two particular origin stories of it. There was, um, myself jason and simon um with uh, the guys from solaris bank in a in a bar uh so marco marco who was uh, one of the founders over there um and it was just like look, this is a great conversation and with our uh access to the uh to sort of really interesting people with you know what we've done and the uh, you know bit of profile that we've kind of got in the in the industry it was just like other people need to hear these things you know actually 
how can other people be getting these absolute gems of insight in the industry that could really, really help them. Um, so for me, it was like, well, how do we just do that? You know, yeah. how do we bring these people in? How do we, you know, how do we have a laugh, have a beer, make it entertaining, um, you know, make it inclusive in terms of what, uh, who we talk to, you know, it's not just a, it's not just a friends club. This is actually us trying to, you know, really um, bring together people and pillars of the community as well as people who are just trying to get into it. Um, and really, it's it's just sort of spiraled from there. Um, so the first one, you know, the first few of these things, we were terrible at doing it, no <laughs> doubt. You know, well, I kind of listened back at the audio and I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> we were awful. Um, and, you know, we started this when the company was, you know, like six or seven people. Right. So uh, at the time, you know, I was doing the editing and uh, and then Jason told me I was terrible at doing editing, so Jason <laughs> did the editing. Uh, and then, you know, Michael uh, came into the to the company and, you know, Michael's still with us now and it's just doing such a phenomenal job with with everything that we're at. But, you know, for us, it was, you know, 11FS, you know, we're setting out not to, um, you know, this is definitely not a lifestyle business we're trying to establish here. This is, uh, and that's no, you know, no disservice to, to people who kind of run lifestyle businesses if that's what they kind of want to do. Yeah. Um, but we materially want to leave the industry in a different place when we're done with it. Um, and by doing that, really, well, for us, it was actually, you know, how do we compete with, you know, McKinsey and Accenture and all of these guys and actually get out there and, and have some real impact? Well, you know, for us, it's about using, you know, B2C communication capability for B2B impact. Um, and if you look at everything that we do, if you look at the, uh, you know, the events that we put on, if you look at the, uh, you know, our events are run more like concerts than they are conferences, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you look at the social media that we do, it's run like a, you know, a, a human social media account. It's not like uh, informal and um, it's not formal, sorry, and um, and very sort of dry. It's very sort of engaging and and uh, and uh, human. Um, and same for the podcast, you know, the podcast is just all about bringing to, together people. So, you know, continually sort of using those B2C capability uh, actually, I think, gives us a very different relationship with people uh, and podcasting particularly. You know, I, I, I think we got into podcasting um, super early in the cycle of, of, of it being successful. Yeah. Um, but podcasting for me, you know, the amount of people that we get DM from and emails and, you know, I was walking my dog, I was, you know, on a run, I was, you know, like uh, at the gym, I was like cutting the lawn, like, you know, these are people choosing to spend time with us in their personal time. Yeah. And, um, you know, like many of the guys who are listening now, you know, so it's one of those things that I just think it creates such a different connection. Um, and the people that we get listening to it now are just off the charts. You know, there's, I get DM'd on Twitter from CEOs of banks who have listened to it and were, you know, don't don't agree with my uh, with my commentary, <laughs> or ones who really really do and get behind it. You know, yeah. we've um, you know we've had me and Jason had a CEO of a bank in Hong Kong wanting to take pictures with us before we started the meeting because <laughs> they loved the podcast. And it's, yeah, it's like honestly, pop culture, just, isn't um, it? Yeah, yeah. It it really is. Honestly, me and Simon get stopped in the street. It's well, this is the just, thing I was um, gonna. That's the thing I was gonna say. So I think the first time I ever saw you guys. I'm not saying you were in awe, but when you guys did the Gary V um, piece, the original Gary V piece, it was probably the first time I'd seen probably Jason and you. Um, and I, uh, it was a YouTube version, and I know you guys had put out the audio version as well, but the, the two of you looked like, right, this guy's a big deal. 
and it, it definitely had that feel to it. So, like, do you guys get that as well, where people have listened to your voices over and over, and is it kind of is it strange, like, when they come up to you, surely they think they know you? Like, it's even, like, me interviewing you just now. It must be strange, because, like, I know all this information. But, like, sure. yeah. Uh, it, it does set a strange, uh, a strange precedent, like in some ways really, really good. And then, yeah. uh, you know, like, we, you know, you get people sort of coming up to you and saying hi. And uh, like literally there was uh, kind of one run where it was like, like three times just on the street in, in London, walking around in the space of like four hours, you know, it kind of, uh, it's, uh, I, I rang my wife and I was like, this stuff's going to start going to my head at some point. But, like, I'm, I'm just, just joking. She won't but let that happen, um, surely. No, Sarah <laughs> definitely won't let that happen. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's nice. You know, you do these things to kind of have impact. But I think for us, it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's funny the things that it does cause. Because uh, you're in a situation where, I mean, like, everybody's listened to you for like 300, 400 hours of content. I mean, like they've heard all the good stories now, you know, like uh, the funniest thing is when you go into a meeting, at, uh, a big bank and they're like, uh, you know, so tell you were saying on the, you know, episode three, two, five about blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I have no idea what yeah, I said. Yeah, they expect like, you, you to know, catalog that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I was like two, two beers in. I've like literally no idea what I said. So uh, like just jogged my memory a little bit what it was. So um, and, and actually, if I'm honest, like, you know, Michael and Alex do such a great job on the editing that, uh you know, they, they take a lot of the ums and the ahs out and, uh, you know, they've done a pretty decent job of making it sound pretty smart for, uh, for most of it. But, uh, it's, um, it's funny, like the, the people that we've managed to get on, you know, we've got, we've had sort of CEOs of banks. We've had, you know, Will I am, we had Gary V, uh, you know, the, the Gary V episode for me was, um, uh, you know, I, I'd never heard of him before we went and actually interviewed oh, really? him, Jason, sort of, um, spent a bunch of time with him, uh, his content beforehand um but i i hadn't really engaged with him before um but what was really nice for me and i and i have to say it's like the um i think i said this on you know one of our podcasts recently but it was the gary v episode for me actually i'm not sure it's great content for everybody else but for me it was phenomenal content because you know having done some research uh, you know on him beforehand um you know he's a tough guy to please um and actually sort of being in a situation where he uh he basically confirmed everything we were doing was right and yeah uh, and gave us you know tips and hints on how to take it to the next level i was just i was kind of just blown away and and thankfully we've you know we've kind of created a a bit of a relationship off the back of that to be able oh, to yeah. spend more time and get more uh you know get more um uh, experience and his guidance you know sam spent some time with him out in his new york office and i spent a bunch of time with him here in fact i've connected him to doing some interesting business with uh, some of the organizations in london so uh and you know a few more kind of announcements on that side of things to come in the, the not too uh, not too distant future actually but um but it's it's nice you know it's um it's part and parcel of that thing that i kind of said before it's like we're you know we're in a a lucky position now where you know, particularly in the financial services industry, there's not many people we kind of can't get to. Yeah. Uh, and it opens a lot of doors for us to talk to, you know, a lot of interesting people. You know, we've got um, some really big names kind of coming on over the next uh, next sort of six months or so. Um, but we've had, you know, people like the Deputy Mayor of London on was phenomenal, like so smart, such great stories, such a, a kind of a humble guy. Um, but then, like you say, you know, people like Gary Vee, people like Will I Am. And they just come with such uh, earnest nature. Um, yeah. You know, I have to say there are a few people we've had on, I'm not going to say who, who you're just like, wow, like, 
Yeah, that was yeah. So really I, I, yeah. I, won't, I won't name names, but there's been certain episodes where I've I've really I've really um <laughs> complimented like Simon and different people of keeping a straight face at times. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I mean, there's a few episodes we recorded and we just didn't put out because yeah. um you know, and actually like there was there was one uh, one episode with a, a CEO of a bank where I was like. I don't think I want that to go out. I just yeah. don't think that is a, it's not a, it's not an honest story, you know? Um, but then so yeah. Kind of like, what, one thing I've noticed from you guys, and I, I don't expect you to name names, I don't want you to, but uh, one, one thing I've noticed when you're bringing on the very corporate um, CEOs from the incumbent banks and stuff like that, they still like, I, I, I can't speak for them, but from when I listen to the episodes, they still don't get it. It's still very much around trying to copy tactics and, yeah, uh, yeah, they're missing the point completely. Uh, like it definitely comes across that way, and it's super frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know, I think some some definitely um, some definitely know the words to say, um, <laughs> and then some um, some definitely know what they should be doing. Yeah, uh, and then there's a real subsection of those who are actually doing it and making it happen. Um, you know, there are a few a really sort of good examples, like Alison Rose at NatWest. Um, you know, I've got nothing but positive things to say about, um, and I, and it's not, um, it's not necessarily the stuff that she said on, uh, when she's been on the podcast, I think she's been on maybe three or four times now, but it's actually the stuff that I've kind of seen in the, the, the seat, you know, behind the scenes really in terms of, um, how she is with people, um, and actually how sort of honest she is with that type of stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm really, um, you know, you kind of get a good feel for people pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and like you say, whether it's just, um, you know, they're moving their mouth and saying the words or whether they're, they're actually putting things in place to make things happen. So, uh, and definitely I've met, uh, I've met both, uh, both sides of that equation. Um, but it's, you know, it, it is interesting. And, and I, I, I say it's like, um, you know, it gives us a weird level of, level of access. It's like, um, you know, the amount of places that we go to where, um, as you say, it's like there's somebody who, has listened to a you know a hundred or two hundred hours of you you sort of rambling on about different stuff and uh, and they turn out to be you know a CEO of a bank or a yeah. uh, you know a, a, a leader of one of the competitors to Eleven FS or and I think that's I think that's the nicest thing really about it is um, I feel like we've helped a bunch of people by doing something that actually I just wanted to do anyway um, and from a really selfish perspective actually we've been so busy with what we've done with 11fs that actually honestly just getting to hang out with uh simon and jason and sarah and Lida and you know having a couple of beers and having a laugh uh weekly um i mean that's the best thing to have in the diary ever right yeah no totally it definitely comes across i, I liked um the one thing i was going to say about gary v is like i know people like see gary v as marmite um, but one thing you get is like he's absolutely real. I would love to be the fly in the wall when he goes in to meet CEOs and whatnot. I think it would be awesome. <laughs> so like, yeah. So honestly, I um, I've got a huge amount of respect for him. I know. Um, I think there's you know he he says he says a lot. It's a um, um, you know, uh, people kind of listen to what he's saying, but watch what I do, right? Um, and actually, if you start watching the moves that he makes, the things that he's doing. Uh, he's a very, very shrewd businessman. You know, I've I've had the pleasure of being in a uh, a meeting uh, with him and a CEO of a bank, uh, and somebody was giving him a you know a real hard time in terms of uh, challenging some of his uh, beliefs from a marketing perspective. 
but I witnessed over a couple of hours just an absolute masterclass in you know people management and communication. And uh, you know, I think he has a lot more a um, lot more to his armory than just uh, than just the the kind of hype that people kind yeah. of see. Um, and and that's great. You know, I, like I said, I've learned a lot from him. I hope I'll kind of learn a lot more from him uh, as time goes on. But uh, you know, I think everybody finds their own uh, their own format, their own way. Yeah, well, as a massive NFL Eagles fan, I hope he never fulfills his dream of owning the Jets because I could see them becoming a force again. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know, right? <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. honestly, I wouldn't bet against him if I'm honest. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Do you know it's it's in, it's interesting. It's like um, I see when Gary says that. I see it like a uh, I don't know if you know about like OKRs. Um, yeah. I think he uh, you know he's setting himself up with a you know a, a, an objective of of buying the Jets, where it actually it's about everything he does to set himself up to have a shot of doing it. Yeah. Um, it's really a, a kind of a message for me about having the right aspiration. You know, if you aspire to, uh, you know, just live for Fridays or you aspire to, uh, you know, have a very sort of short term view, you kind of set yourself up in your career path, your aspirations, the how hard you work for a smaller goal. Yeah. Um, if you set yourself a crazy, big, audacious you know, uh, go to change the world type thing and you set yourself up and those around you to try and attempt to do that, you might turn out to be the people who actually make it happen. Yeah, no, totally agree. I think, uh, was it Matthew McConaughey years ago in his Oscar speech and he's like, all I do is chase myself. I set my goals and I'm like after them and they're, they're lofty and they're ambitious. So, yeah. Sounds no, good. Totally. I mean, I, I try I try and do something same. It's it's why occasionally I'll, um, I'll put something out about where I want to get to. Because the minute I kind of put it out there as a thing that we are going to do, I've got no choice but to do it at yeah. that stage. Yeah. Uh, and actually, it's it's um, you know me and um, Jason, uh, me Jason and Ross actually were having this conversation in the office this week. You know, there's this idea of you know humans are just animals, right? You know, we're uh, instinctive in terms of kind of what we do, and we you know we will naturally you know avoid. Uh, uh, risky situations and you know we try and sort of protect ourselves as much as possible um, but there's this sort of concept of the you know the jockey and the horse uh, you know the horse is skittish and will you know run away from danger and the jockey is wildly sort of trying to kind of take control and all, all these things um, I think I'm very instinctive I'm very sort of uh, animalistic in terms of how I sort of approach stuff yeah. uh, you know I like competition I like those types of things uh, and actually, for me, I'm like, occasionally, just the jockey will go, we're going in that direction, we're doing these things, uh, you know, I'm setting these objectives, I'm setting these targets, I've had a good idea on this thing. And then I just leave it to the horse to get on with it, basically. Yeah. Um, and it works out pretty well for me so far, anyway. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I always remember the, uh, I think it was a USA versus UK um, vers uh, version that you guys did, where you put the challenge up. And um, you guys were like super competitive, <laughs> super competitive when it came to that. And it's quite funny. There was a guy in uh, Canada, um, John Fleischer, really great guy. And um, he started doing something somewhere. He's kind of created this wrestling type arena for, he's bringing in people from different companies and he's maybe saying, right, topic is remote work. Here's an advocate. Here's someone's against it. Right, let's go. And it's like round one, round two. But yeah, it's like awesome because it really brings out some interesting views. So. Yeah, well, and and also like you know, back to kind of with the podcast, it's like actually, if you just don't make content interesting, nobody cares. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like honestly, the amount of when we starting it, the amount of um, you know financial services material that was out there that was just boring. And you know, we're so passionate about this industry. You know, we really kind of love this stuff. 
So we want to make it engaging. We want to make it inspiring. We want to make it sort of interesting for people. Um, you know, the amount of conferences you go to and it's just like a procedural panel of like, you know, there's four people give your opinion number four, you yeah. know, and it's just, uh, you and know, they've, like, got slides of, uh, they've got slides with 25 bullet points and a full architecture behind them and stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, you know, we've got, um, you know, the a format that we took to money 2020 in Vegas last year, where it's just, it's, uh, we call it the FN debate, which is like the FinTech debate, yeah. but, um, it's really, it's, you know, pick an argument, you know, have a topic, pick an argument. And it's like, actually, it just makes it far more entertaining for the crowd because yeah. it's something to get involved in. Um, I always, if I'm honest with you, when I sort of go around, um, you know, I have the, the sort of luck to go and talk in all sorts of fun places. I'm like, if I can't make somebody, if I can't make the crowd laugh within about a minute of standing up in front of people, like I have failed because, uh, and it's one of those things. It's like, if I can't make content entertaining, I'm definitely not going to make them remember it. And yeah. if they don't remember it, then why am I there? What's the point? Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's, it's always about, uh, you know, how do you bring humor in? If, if I'm honestly like when I, um, when I sort of started out giving, you know, talks and various different things in places, like there was very few people who I would look at for kind of inspiration on that. If I'm honest with you, I'd, I'd look way more to, you know, go watching, uh, you know, Richard Pryor or Chris Rock for, for yeah. kind of inspiration on like how to tell stories. Um, because it's it's really all about, you know, arc of stories when you're doing anything, whether it's a, a podcast or a blog post or, a you know, a, a keynote speech or whatever. Um, and if you can kind of get that entertainment value into it, then, you know, the, the, the feedback's always going to be a lot better. And let's say, yeah, ultimately your message is going to get across a lot more impactfully. Yeah, no, totally. I think the thing that always sticks out for me that you guys do extremely well is like creating those, like you say, those little moments that spark conversation elsewhere. So like it can be down to, I remember a couple of years ago, you guys were posting your kind of person of the month award, which was like a, a figure of 11 from uh, Stranger Things. Straight away, there's a conversational piece because like who doesn't like Stranger Things? Um, sadly, I don't do have an 11 was... doll. I've got like a hopper character like, I'm back <laughs> no, it, it was a funny thing when we started that though because when we um you know we started the company and and actually you know you you start thinking about well who's going to be the superhero of the month right um and, but you start looking at like superhero trophies and stuff and it's all it's like dudes in like crazy you know <laughs> 25 pack abs or like women in like crazy like scantily clad stuff and so we were like just, uh, sorry to interrupt but you just described Ross Smith and after his awesome gym <laughs> stuff that he's doing so yeah <laughs> oh, honestly that guy's on a tear I know I know sorry to sidetrack never... yeah <laughs> well and and the fact you know I'm kind of uh, we share a flat in uh, London during the week so a lot of the stuff that he's now eating and drinking he's trying to palm off on me as okay. well which I'm, I'm a little bit worried about is, is he introduced um, you we... to Bulletproof Coffee yet uh, no, no, right. I he's on it this week. Ask him about bulletproof coffee. I introduced him to it on Friday, and he says he's on it this week. So yeah, try okay. it out. Sorry to jump in there. So yeah, no, so no, with no. the trophies, so, yeah, so. yeah. Well, it was it was one of those ones. That it just seemed very, um, you know, um, masculine. Yeah. Um, so we were like, well, actually, where you know, what could we use as a trophy? You know, we want to give somebody. We want something that in like twenty years, when eleven FS is like hundred thousand people kind of globally um that actually was shipping this thing globally for like who's the employee of the of the and actually um so we were like well 
11 right <laughs> strange there it was actually my um uh my my wife who came up with the idea and then zoe uh who's my business manager um literally got like a kit and then <laughs> repainted it awesome uh, bought bought another trophy took the other trophy off so we had this we've got this really nice plinth um and created this thing and it's and it's awesome you know people are um so every month we we all vote internally and the person who gets the most votes um gets you know gets 11 and i think they get a i think it's like 250 amazon vouchers or something yeah um but it's just i think it's just a great thing it's it's a nice thing to have an excuse to stand up in front of everybody uh, monthly and say how impactful somebody has been. Yeah. Um, and then, like you say, it's everybody's super proud of doing it. You know, it's uh, um, it's a it's a nice thing that will uh, kind of keep keep doing. I think it's these, it's as in a company, it's these little rituals, right? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And then eleven FS from the outside, anyway. You guys are like super crazy talent. So um, I think for someone to get that award must mean like a hell of a lot because they know they're working with like really smart kind of like-minded folks so um yeah no it's cool I'm, I'm gonna need to try and convince my daughter when she gets older to get into it i was saying to ross that if you guys ever get to some full-blown tournament with 11 fc my daughter's asked that she demands to be the mascot because she has a date of birth that can only work for 11 fs so she was born 11 11 11 so she's wow. got she's got to be in for a shout for being the mascot for that game. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I think we need to like uh, talk, talk to people about internships like almost immediately. Yeah, just, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that seems like fate. But she's you know seven, yeah, I mean? she's seven, but she's like everything's about eleven, and I'm like obviously. So yeah, yeah. Well, de definitely. Um, I think that's on the cards. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you've um, I'm sure you've seen the um, you know the fintech football league yeah. that's been set up and. You know, 11 FC are doing pretty well so far in the, in the league. But, um, you know, really this year uh, with, uh, you know, the FinTech Football League, actually, uh, it's kind of just a bit of a prototype, really. But we've managed to get, uh, you know, Monzo and Starling and yeah. Revolut and, you know, uh, Receipt Bank. And, and actually, we've got, I think we've got about 15 teams wanting to get into uh, into the league yeah. um, and some pretty big organizations. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll definitely be making some announcements in uh, over the next uh, couple of months on that one because there will be a tournament for sure second season is just honestly you wouldn't believe what we're going to be doing so awesome. anthony and pet and the guys in the in the uh, who've been uh, organizing all of that stuff has just uh, i've done it um if i'm honest with you they, they've taken on the mantle from what we've done with 11fs and applied it to something that they're really passionate about you know yeah. even the um you know the uh, the opening hype video that we put out, uh, you know, it's been viewed like 450,000 times now, you know, it's gone sort of properly viral. And, you know, we managed to get um, one of my friends who's a Sky Sports News presenter to, you know, do a kind of a bit of a hype thing in there. And uh, yeah, one thing led to another and and now it's a big thing. So it's, um, but it's exciting. You know, it, again, it's, if you bring your passion to something, you find, you um, you find you do amazing things you know? yeah no totally it's another thing that just draws people and you gravitate towards it as well so like no totally i think it's awesome but yeah i, I promised my daughter I'd, I'd give her a shout out so <laughs> so like let's kind of rewind the clock if that's cool so go ahead into a little bit of like what were your kind of passions like growing up obviously you mentioned sport was it predominantly sport were you kind of fascinated by computers light flashing lights anything else like as a, as a kid do you know what? I've always um, I've always been a bit of a um, uh, kind of a, a dichotomy between like jock and geek. 
for someone to share. Right. It's kind of been really interesting. Like played loads and loads and loads and loads of sports, but like passion growing up was like computers. Um, you know, my dad was like massively into um, information technology and, you know, I, I got my um, first computer when I was, I think like, I think I got my first basketball and my first computer in the same year, um, <laughs> okay. which was, um, I think I was six. So I got my first basketball uh, randomly on a, uh, trip back from France in Calais. Right, okay. <laughs> um, I was like, it was one of those ones where I think my my mom and dad stopped off to fill up the car with booze and cigarettes, you know, and uh, and then I was like, I could pick anything, and I remember picking this um, red, white, and blue basketball. Um, but at the in the same year, I got my first computer, which was a Amstrad fifteen twelve, um, and yeah, I, you know, I really got into it in terms of programming and gaming and. You know, gaming has been a, a you know real big part of my life. You know, it's uh, I honestly think I've learned more. Bizarrely, I've probably learned more about uh, business from sports, but I've definitely learned more about good user experience and design through playing computer games. Yeah. Um, you know, for anybody sort of growing up in the '90s, the difference between Pro Evolution Soccer and FIFA was good user experience, right? Yeah. You know, one of them was a better game, one of them had a better menu system, yeah. and just how easy FIFA was to use, uh, it ended up winning. I, I can't believe you're leaving sensible soccer out there. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Sensi was a great game, but uh, just a little bit earlier. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, so, yeah. You had three, you had three opportunities to score a goal, and everyone had mastered that after five minutes. <laughs> exactly, but um, but. No, so you know, gaming was like a was and and kind of is really still now a you know a real big uh, a real big thing that it's really only my only um, uh, my only real hobby I'd suggest right now is is, is actually sort of gaming. Um, what games are you into? Game. What games you into now? Um, so I, I I spent a lot of time on Red Dead Redemption. Mm. Like uh, I, I've, uh, I've I've done my hardest to stay away from going onto the the online game just because I know how addictive it will be. But there was a you know there was a period of time where I was getting up before work to play Call <laughs> of Duty Four or Halo Three. And if like on honestly, when I was at um, you know I've, I think I've told the story a couple of times, but when I was at Gartner, um, there were a couple of my clients that. Uh, one guy particularly who was at the time the CIO of Barclay Card um, is now um, senior dude up in uh, Goldman Sachs in Marcus. Right. Um, literally, I met maybe uh, maybe two or three times face to face, but we would spend like three or four hours gaming like every week, and we would we would do all of our conversations with a headset on while we were playing, <laughs> okay, yeah. while we were playing Destiny. Uh, so um, yeah, so occasionally. You know, I think that was the one of the first times where um, my um, sort of pleasure in business have overlapped right. um, because essentially I was doing something that I really, really was loving doing at the same time as, you know, doing work. You know, I mean, that, that Venn diagram is a lot more blurry these days in terms <laughs> of uh, what we do with 11FS. Um, but definitely like, say, sporting stuff, computer game stuff, you know, the amount of times I remember, uh, you know, as a kid that I'd you know head down to a blockbuster or something and rent a computer game on a friday and then i would literally not leave my my room for like 36 hours <laughs> trying to uh trying to sort of play that uh play that thing all the way to get my two pound 95s worth yeah of try, and then try and get it back before you get a fine <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah so um but yeah no it was it was good and uh, like say uh, i kind of grew up in a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere so um you know gaming and uh, and and sports were really the only two things that were on there. You know, it's uh, I still uh, if ever I go back to that little village, like 
I'm not sure Wi-Fi or mobile phone signal really has still hit there very well. Um, so it's it's ironic that I've kind of gone from you know living in the sticks in the middle of nowhere in a a village with uh, you know 60 people in it when uh, I'm now uh, you know doing all of the sort of advanced technological stuff that I am today you know? and the and the big smoke what's quite interesting is I always ask people like have these curiosities and passions stayed with you but it's quite clear that these have like in terms of sports and computers and gaming and, and everything else so yeah I, I think I've honestly I think the my main thing is like I've just always been fascinated by how things work yeah um you know for me it's um there, there's been many a times where uh uh you know I've got into trouble to by asking why um but again, I think it's um, a lot of that is down to how you brought up, you know, like for me, yeah. I was all again, I was always brought up to be in a situation where I asked why, because uh, if you don't, if you blindly follow things, blindly do things, then uh, you uh, you might end up finding you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, uh, I'm smiling. But yeah, I'm smiling because yesterday I had um, the director of digital for Adidas on um, Suave and we we're chatting and we we're just both sharing our experiences of how like, I get thrown out in maths class umpteen times for asking exactly that. When am I going to use this and why would I use this? And it was a question yeah. of just go, you're being disruptive. <laughs> like, yeah, I, do you know what? I, I had that. I was telling Zoe the story the other day, actually. So I got, I literally got thrown out of uh, my maths class because uh, I'm a left-handed guy, right? So um, I'm left-handed plus my handwriting is appalling. <laughs> like, um, but we had to use um, fountain pens in maths to write stuff. Okay. And I was like, why? This makes no sense. Like I'm, I'm doing maths here, you know, like I'm actually, I'm trying to, do, you know, but I'm just smudging everything I'm doing, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I, there was like a six month period where I had to do it with like the, uh, the sort of remedial class, like out in the, you know, the, the, yeah, the, other yeah. side of the school type thing, just because, you know, <laughs> that's that's just yeah things. that's that's just cruel making you do that <laughs> i know it was it was kind of bizarre you know i like i was as actually pretty good at you know like i ended up doing um you know mathematics and uh and computing um when i um when i got to sort of a levels i kind of went down the route of actually uh, i was going to you know play sports do that type of thing so i was going down the route of doing human biology and sports science and kind of that side of things um but when I, I sort of tore a bunch of ligaments to my left knee and I was like, well, actually, I've got, you know, no chance really to do anything in that space now. Mm. So I had to kind of mm. go from, you know, go from the sort of jock to geek side really quickly. So I was kind of lucky that I had all of that other stuff kind of brewing <laughs> in the background, you know. Yeah. Um, so what were you like at school as, as a student? Were you kind of like, were you troublesome? Were you kind of like mischievous more than troublesome? Or, or, or were you like a good student? Like, like what were you like at school? Um, again, my, you know, my, my mom's always brought me up to, you know, my mom and dad has always brought me up to be, um, sort of very, very respectful. You know, mm -hmm. I kind of, uh, I will always, um, mind my manners and open doors and, you know, say please and thank you and be sort of very respectful. Um, but because I was into sports and I was playing sports, I just didn't try very hard. Um, I kind of did pretty much every, you know, report card I've ever had pretty much all the way through to actually my master's, starting my master's, was, um, you know, good when applies himself, but just doesn't try. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, um, it just didn't appeal to me. And actually, I just didn't, um, I didn't need to do it. You know, again, it was, if I, uh, if I applied myself, actually, I, I did, I did really well, you know, yeah. but, um, and it was, if I'm honest with you, I, I kind of coasted through 
you know, high school and uh, and college. Um, and then when, you know, when I sort of damaged my knee, um, I sort of flipped and did, um, I ended up doing computing, um, business and um, mathematics. Um, because of how I'd sort of lost the time, I ended up doing some of the modules for year two in year one um, to try and catch up, which was pretty intense, I have to say. And I, you know, I kind of applied myself and did well. And, you know, I kind of went on after that to go and do a um, uh, degree in computing. Um, And, you know, again, I I sort of vividly remember, I sort of tell the story quite a lot, but I remember sort of coming out of that, uh, picking up my, um, you know, I've got a 2-1, you know, great, that's good. And just sort of coming out and realizing that actually I've just wasted a massive opportunity. Uh, you know, I've had a, you know, my mum and dad had been so supportive of me doing these things. And uh, I'd really sort of coasted through uh, through it. And now, you know, I had a 2-1 degree that, you know, 400,000 other people on the planet, it felt like had. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a person who really, um, I hate feeling... Uh, part of a herd you know I, I hate sort of being uh very sort of um uniformed i hear you <laughs> um, and, and sort of being in a situation where actually suddenly I, I realized that actually me as an individual i've got literally no no distinction no uh no difference in terms of this space and actually that not only that but actually the you know the the uh support and the the structure that my family had given me i i, I had uh, and the resources, you know, the inve- you know monetary investment, you know, I'd I'd kind of wasted that opportunity, um, and that really sucked, you know, like that really really sucked, yeah. and um, and if I'm honest with you, it was it was kind of like and like say I, I you know leaning against those yellow railings, like I can remember it so vividly, um, but all it was from that point a switch went off in my head, which was like I'm gonna I'm gonna be the hardest working person against anything that I ever do. Uh, there, I will not ever fail because I've not applied myself or worked hard at something. Um, and actually, like, how did I just apply everything that made me successful in a sporting sense, whether it was the desire or the practice or the patience or the, you know, the, the sort of hustle to kind of make stuff happen. And f- like, honestly, that's literally all I've done since then. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I, I, that's literally all I kind of did myself. And I, you know, I went and did a master's degree. I came out with a double first, you know, I applied myself harder than anybody did. I ended up with like a 89% average across the entirety of everything, which was, you know, pretty damn good in terms of kind of where I was going. Uh, I think it was like 89.9 or something. So, uh, you know, I was like, okay, great. And then that's just what I've done in my career. Um, I think, honestly, I don't think you have to enjoy everything all the time. Um, for me, it's like, um, it's actually about understanding what gets you to where you want to be. Um, because I think, if I'm honest, when you look at um, when you look at people who are kind of going into the market now, and actually there's a real, I think there's a real issue with um, the sort of millennial generation feeling like there's more of an entitlement. You know, yeah. I think there's a uh, almost a sense that actually, um, everybody should be doing something that they love. Uh, and actually the reality is that not everybody gets to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, not everybody gets to, uh, you know, Gary Vee talks a lot about, you know, 1% life, you know, not everybody gets the 1% life. And definitely if you even want remotely a shot at getting that, you have to work like nobody else does. Yeah. And you have to be uh, super, super lucky as well. You need a lot of yeah. good fortune. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, and I find, you know, I've, I've worked at, um, uh, you know, 11FS definitely wouldn't be the company it is today if I hadn't worked at a bunch of places that weren't great. Uh, and it wasn't that they weren't great companies. It was the fact that actually, you know, if you go and work at a, uh, you know, a, um, a, like a phenomenal organization, you work at somewhere that everything's perfect. Um, you're not learning, you know, like you're not learning the things that actually um, actually will be the things that will set you up and actually understand what you need. Um, you know, I worry about this a little bit with us. I'm like, I think, um, you know, for people who are coming in who it's like their first job, I really think we're spoiling them from the industry perspective because yeah. <laughs> uh, they just don't realize how good they've got it with what we do and, you know, the the opportunities, the culture, the everything that's set up because, you know, there's some places I've gone to that have been really sort of toxic from a cultural perspective, but I've learned more being there than I ever had, would have done. Well, that was the thing I, yeah, I was going to touch upon. It's kind of like, it's not that you went behind enemy lines disguised in a suit or whatever, but like, for instance, Lloyd's and some of these other experiences where you did spend a significant period of time, like, what was invaluable about that experience? Was it just simply being in a really challenging, toxic culture and coming through that? Or, or, or what would you say was, was the key sort of things that you took from that? Honestly, it's exactly as you said. You know, I kind of, um, you know, I went and pretended to be a banker for six years. I pretended to be an insurance guy for six years. I, uh, you know, I kind of pretended to be a management consultancy dude for, for a little while, right? You know, I... I had the suits, I had the ties, I, you know, I had the nice bag and the nice pen, you know, I kind of did those things to, to kind of learn what those things are, you know, like what's good about that industry, what's bad about that industry, you know, where are incentives playing too strong a part in actually what it is that they're doing, you know, where are people conflicted with the advice or the guidance that they're giving and the business model that they've got, um, you know, where, where can I pick up great things from great leaders where can i learn from really bad ones you know i've 100 percent had uh you know worse more worse uh, you know more bad managers than good managers and i've probably learned more from the bad managers than the good managers um but it's it's kind of one of those things it's like actually it's kind of what i love about what we're doing now is um do you know it's really tiring to like pretend to be something that you're not um you know spending all that time and you know, pretending to be a management consultant or a banker or, you know, those types of things or, you know, not wearing your clothes, not wearing your stuff, you know, they were my suits, but it's not what I choose to wear, you know. Um, and that's the thing that I kind of love so much about today and so much about our culture is, you know, we really want people to be them. Like, you know, when I was at Gartner, like, I forgot what it was like to kind of give my own opinion because uh, it was all about what, you uh, you know, Gartner believes in Gartner's opinion and similarly at Lloyd's Banking Group and, you know, various other places I've worked at. Whereas with us, actually, it's, you know, we want people to be them. You know, we want, I feel like personally, I'm like the the most me version of me that there, there has been now. Um, and because of that and because of how relaxed I feel and, you know, same with Zoe, same with Bianca, same with Jason, same with everybody in the team, you know, actually when you're, you're relaxed and you're comfortable and you're in an environment where actually it's it's really truly collaborative in terms of what it is you just do better work mm. um and and that's 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 the thing i hear so many people talking about um you know culture in such a ethereal you know what's the roi of of good culture kind of sense and i'm like if you know if you you spend all of that time all of that money all of that investment to bring together talent you know not 
making sure that you're getting the best out of those people that you kind of bring to your organization is just bad business. Um, so for me, you know, establishing a great, a great culture, yeah, it means I can wear shorts and, and whatnot to work. And like, you know, you have uh, freedom and whatnot, but it's just good business. Like actually being in a situation where you spend that time, you invest in people and the people like love doing what they do you get better business results. Uh, again, this seems like common sense when I say it out loud, right? But the many people who are listening to this who their organization won't be doing that. Yeah. Um, and that sucks, you know, sucks sucks to be there, sucks to be them. But what, what I would say is like, for me, it's like being in a situation where, you know, don't, don't think, especially if you're just starting off in your career, don't think that you should be uh, enjoying everything. Don't think that every organization is perfect. Um, what you should be challenging yourself on is what am I learning? You know, over a three month period, if you're not learning something that you would materially put onto your CV. And I used to do this, like, honestly, it was like a, a ritual of mine. It was like, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't, I don't even know where the template is for my CV anymore, but like, honestly, like I would have a template for my CV. And if every three months I wasn't adding a bullet point to that CV time to change jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it might be a, it might be a bad business, but something that I'm learning something from, uh, or it might be a great business and it's something that I'm learning from. Yeah. Um, but just sort of test yourself to make sure that you're learning, make sure that you're moving you forward. Uh, and if you're not, then I'd, I'd look, be looking at opportunities uh, elsewhere. That's great advice, definitely. Um, it's related to the conversations I was having over the last couple of days. Even just coming back to like CVs and just touching those for a moment. So the guy John in um, in Canada, his TED talk is why resumes are bad for business, um, and it's very much like Da Vinci created the curriculum vitae over five hundred years ago. How have we not moved this uh, industry forward? Honestly, I you know we do a lot of recruitment, and um, you know it's one of the it's one of the things that I'm uh, still heavily sort of involved in because um, you know talent for us is again it's it's kind of everything that we do. Do you know what? Generally, I just don't read people's CVs at all. We, um, you know, I've I've kind of put um, four questions in our um, in our uh, application process, um, and it's actually the effort and creativity that actually goes into those uh, goes into those answers that actually gets people interviews at Eleven yeah. FS. Um, and you can at that point you can tell within fifteen seconds whether somebody cares or not. Uh, because there's the you know the amount of people that are just procedurally applying to a job like we get we get a crazy amount of people applying and you can write off forty percent of them really really quickly by actually they're just doing it to leave where they're at not because they want to yeah. be where you are um, and then you can start sifting down to people who show you know we talk about well you know why do, why do you want to work for Eleven FS you know like what is it about us that actually appeals to you. Um, why will 11FS want to work with you? You know, what's the things that you bring to us that that's there? Um, tell us about something that you're passionate about. You know, what's something that actually can show to us that you can, with something that you're passionate about, you're actively moving something forward and trying to drive something. Um, and then actually the, the one thing that I kind of ask at the end of it is, you know, what was the most surprising thing that you found out about 11FS when you did your research, because it kind of forces people to try and actually think about why they even want to yeah, come yeah. to us in the first place, you know? Um, and actually, like say it's, I, you know, 1% of the time I'll read CVs, uh, but every time I read all of those answers, even people who we, you know, we sort of disqualify, I kind of read all those answers. 
Um, and then actually it's, you know, CVs for me coming come to it a lot later on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really interesting. I think um, my friend John, he's at Spotify, and he used to say that quite a lot. He's like, research the hell out of where you want to go because you should be doing that work. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the, the hard thing is, is that a lot of employers um, sort of paint a picture of oh, yeah. an organization that isn't sort of reality. You know, if, um, if anything, one of the you know nicest compliments we get a lot is, um, you know, the way that you guys are uh, sort of portrayed on, you know, Twitter or Instagram or whatever in terms of the culture is is exactly what it actually it is. You know, we, you know, we document our company. We don't. Uh, sort of portray a different version of it just for for social media if that makes sense yeah and i don't get why incumbents do that because all they're doing is like they're disengaging talent because some some of these incumbents do attract really great talent and within three months they've lost them it's a terrible story it's a terrible review that goes out and um yeah i'm surprised they don't i mean just get get your stuff in-house like tip top or as good as you can get it and then tell the story rather than i mean i mean um, mean, because it's hard like culture is difficult like yeah. culture is really difficult and the, the hard thing about culture is like you can't fake it you can't buy it like it's not it's not a uh it's not something you can outsource to a Accenture or ibm you know like this is something that essentially means that you uh it's like um it's like brand right you can't buy a brand your brand is just a a collection of things that you've done consistently so you know being in a situation where your your culture it, you know for me like culture is it's like exercise, you know, like you can't get somebody else to do it for you and expect the benefit. Yeah. You've got to really mean it. You've got to really understand it. You've got to stand behind it, creating the, you know, the principles and the norms within your organization that actually mean that your people know how to make decisions properly. Yeah. Um, it is strange that it's such a fundamental that so few people get, but, um, you know, I, I think this is really why we're sort of seeing more and more of a trend of, uh, organizations, really big organizations, kind of needing to have, uh, you know, heart transplants when it comes to, um, you know, what they're there to do and, and why they're really in business, you know, yeah. um, because really, if you're a 150,000 person organization or, a, you know, uh, or whatever kind of scale, then actually um, changing the culture is, is really, really difficult. Um, so, yeah, for me, for me, it's it's um, it's why really big organizations are now starting to lose out to startups you know you get uh, a startup really motivated with you know 15 people and really behind what they're doing passionate positive you know getting into it those guys can do way more than 5,000 developers you just don't care yeah I mean that's the thing when I've talked to people in the past they're in culture and shifting culture and incumbents I've I've still never seen a great example of ever actually happening I mean Apple was kind of through dictatorship um, if you look at like GE Capital, they, they, they actually tell the story of how they shifted their culture. When you actually drill into their business model, they literally set up a completely separate digital business with new people, new culture. And it's kind of coming back to that whole tipping point type analogy of actually it's better to start again as a sub-brand or whether you want to attach it to your brand and then just just have that sort of scaling tipping point. So, because I think most, like definitely you, you guys will see it a lot more, like most incumbents seem to think it's a playbook or it's a, a set of practices, but you absolutely hit the nail on the head with the exercising. No one practices it. No one evolves it. It's, it should be like a product in essence where you're constantly iterating, experimenting, trying things out. Like I was talking about uh, Stripe yesterday and obviously they announced that their fifth engineering hub that they're going to put live is going to be fully remote. Um, 
But again, very, very clever company. And so the experimentation with, and they tried hiring full teams rather than individuals. So let's experiment mm. with actually onboarding engineering teams who apply as a team. We talk to them individually, but we also get them to do a bit of paid work or whatever it is. But even these kind of little small things are they're so important, eh? Like, and the incumbents just seem to miss that. And, or maybe they just can't attract the people to, to do that now. I'm not sure, yeah. I think there's um I think there's two things. I think the incumbents struggle so so hard with um what if it doesn't work? Um, you know, one of the I think one of the hardest things that I've had to do a few times in with eleven FS is um, you know, protecting that culture is is really, really important. You know, there are people who um, you know, we've had to exit from eleven FS who I really, really like as people. Like they were um you know, lovely, like lovely families, lovely, lovely individuals, you know, I'd spend, uh, happily spend dinner with them, but culturally they just didn't fit for what we were doing. Um, and actually it's so important that you actually can do something if that's the case, yeah. you know, many incumbents, people just get put, you know, in a corner and hope they go away rather than actually facing into the, the fact that actually you're, you know, you're creating this team, you know, yeah. um, for me, I think the other thing on that as well is that um, I honestly just don't think big banks, big incumbent organizations generally just trust that their recruitment policy has actually been very good for the last 25 years. Um, and, and honestly, this is why you know many organizations go out and use McKinsey's and these guys to basically validate what they already know internally. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's sad because uh, it just massively undermines so many smart people in those organizations who uh, probably would know what to do. Now they wouldn't necessarily be able to do it, but I don't. I honestly don't think strategy is why people fall down these days. You can look out into the industry and see what everybody actually should be doing. Really, um, it's actually you know getting it done. It's doing you know, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's executing execute. it. Yeah, yeah. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. So I always, um, from an incumbent recruitment perspective, I think it's really fascinating that they haven't shifted that. I mean, I remember I forget which startup it was, and the guy was like, "Hire, hire slowly, fire fast." And like, obviously, like in these incumbents, they make it incredibly difficult to empower people to do that. Um, yeah, and, it's, and it's you know what? It's it's suits. really really tough. Uh, you know, I know, like say uh, Gary V said to us, it was it's the thing he struggles with most. You know, and actually, um, you know, it's really not easy because you know you're. Uh, uh, you know, you're you're sort of breaking up with an individual, you know, or you know, multiple individuals. But um, it's essentially just pruning, uh, and it really, it really is important. It's um, I honestly, I I, I feel so um, strongly that um, you know, passion and positivity is such a uh, a critical ingredient for for kind of working at Eleven FS. Uh, you know, positivity is is um, um is such a um a kind of a force for good uh you know and positivity for me is is such a an, an infectious disease you know um but negativity is cancerous you know negativity yeah. can be a uh, a really uh, difficult kind of thing to kind of face into with people and in some instances people that's just people's nature do you know what i mean it's not necessarily negative about a certain situation you can sometimes just be how people are but then you're yeah but then i always think you're looking for people who have got the capacity and the self-awareness to change though like so for instance if someone has been caught have to get the ability to look at 
themselves through a, a different lens and, and potentially do something. I mean, you see it a lot with well-being at the moment and, and people are obviously becoming a lot more interested in things like meditation and mindfulness and that in itself brings a lot more sort of unconditional elements and consideration to people's lives and stuff like that. So I always question that with people. Is, <clears throat> obviously, I know everyone's got their troubles and their challenges, but do, does that person have the capacity to, to step back and, and to make that mm. change? Because it's kind of the the ego element of it as well. Like you, you don't want to bring people in with egos either. So yeah, yeah, it's a different. Do you know, what I, do you know, what I think, um, I think sort of um, earlier on in my career, I think when you, I think when I had probably a little bit less self awareness of um, uh, than than today, then then absolutely. Like I think it's when when you're uh, you wonder why not everybody's like you. Uh, and from my perspective, it's like, uh, you know, always falling forwards. It's like, I need to be learning. I need to be moving forwards. I need to be doing it. But actually, like sometimes um, and, you know, kind of what I'm um, what I'm sort of more focused on now. And actually, as my role within 11FS has changed more and more, um, you know, sometimes square pegs just want to be in square holes. Right. Yeah. Uh, and actually, not everybody wants to be, um, you know, um, moving up not everybody wants to be kind of learning new things not everybody wants to be challenged sometimes you just want to be doing the thing that you're really passionate about and mm -hmm. actually that's the thing um and that's great you know like i would honestly i'd kind of love that level of uh happiness in terms of those things because you know for me really you know going back to the the sort of computing side of things like every time we do something that's successful you know every time we win a big thing or we launch a big thing uh, for me, it just unlocks the next level. Mm. Um, and that's really how, you know, I kind of feel on this stuff. I think it's the, my, for me, it's like the competitive nature just always shines through really. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, great. Who's the next big bad guy we're going after <laughs> and, uh, you know, which end of which level are we, uh, are we heading basically, you know? And how do you sort of support your own like well-being from that perspective? Like, obviously you guys are like super productive and you're like on it and definitely from the outside, you guys are on it like properly on it so like how do you sort of balance or find that balance is it from time with the kids or is it do you do anything for yourself in terms of i don't know meditation or, or exercise or, or different things like that what, what sort of works for you um i've never you know i've never been um uh like even in like even in the sporting side of things i have like two switches it's like i'm standing still or i'm sprinting okay. um um i have zero problem sleeping anywhere like it's if if my mum gave me one skill set it was the fact that uh, like i never have trouble sleeping like it doesn't matter what's going on i don't really get stressed in any way shape or form if i'm honest with you because uh you know especially these days the the only times in my career where i've really um i think stress is a, a for me is a symptom of not feeling in control um and the places in my career where i felt most uncomfortable are the ones where actually you don't feel in control of your own destiny. Um, you know, the great thing about what we do now is that um, I can go as quickly as I can. Um, the terrible thing about it is that actually there's nobody above me telling me not to. <laughs> uh, and actually, you know, the honestly, the, the greatest thing, uh, people kind of say about, you know, starting startups when you've got a family and you've got a, you know, a, a wife and kind of all of those things. But honestly, like I, I don't believe that um, I could have done it without having Sarah and Ivy and, and Josh. Because the minute I step off the train on on a Friday night or Thursday night or whatever night it is, I end up actually managing managing to get home. 
you know, I'm definitely not David Breer, CEO of 11FS. I'm, I'm David <laughs> Breer, like dad and, and husband type thing. So, yeah. um, you know, my wife's pretty relentless at getting me to put my phone down, which is good. And, you know, actually, it, it just kind of means that actually I, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of enforced to uh, slow down the pace yeah. and, and actually just not think about this stuff. Now, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, me and Jay or me and Leader or somebody don't drop each other a message or something on, on Slack over the weekend or something will pop into my head and I'll fire it at Zoe or Bianca or somebody, you know. It gives um, you the ability to just switch off and that's the main thing. I mean, I, I always remember Andy Pudicombe, he's Headspace and he, he always talks about like phones aren't the problem. It's the relationship you have with the phone. I think like fatherhood's played a part in that as well. Like in terms of, do you think that's changed you? Uh, I, I mean, it's very, um, it's very difficult not to, um, you know, not to want to uh, not be on your phone at that stage. You know, not to do do work at the weekend. And again, you know, I, I, I'm I'm definitely not perfect at this. There's there's times where I will need to do something, or there's times where I will need to sort of check in on things. And purely just, you know, the amount of stuff that we're doing on social media, you know, there's there's always something. If I, most of the time, my phone's not on, uh, not on loud. I keep it on silent all the time. And um, so if I didn't, I think it would beep every four seconds or something stupid, wow. you know? Yeah. Um, and um, so it's, it's one of those ones where um, you arguably, when it's your own company, you arguably, are never done. You know, the only the only thing I can relate um, really running your own company with is the feeling when you're doing like a, a dissertation. Um, you know, if you're not working on it, you're feeling guilty that you're not working on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and honestly, if um, you know, if I didn't have a, a you know couple of kids and a, and a wife and and a sort of a different pace of life here, I, you know, I'd probably work twenty four seven doing stuff. And that yeah. would be horrifically bad for me mentally and physically. So, yeah. um, but kind of finding that balance, you know, uh, like you were saying about Ross, it's like, uh, eat well, be well, uh, you know, yeah, and yeah. Actually, you, you kind of find, um, it's only in moments of, uh, kind of reflection that you really take stock of either what you've done or, uh, or really what you need to do. Um, so it's, it's, it's amazing how many times actually when I, uh, when I do get to take a week out and spend some time with the family or, uh, you know, uh, go on holiday or whatever, you know, I kind of come back with a renewed sort of vigor and motivation to what we're doing. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a clarity, um, isn't it? It's almost like a clarity that it sort of brings, I feel like, well, certainly for myself, like just that switching off. Like I was, I'm very similar where it's not that I was obsessed with my phone or anything. I just love to consume information and I'm really curious. But I could be watching a television program and after it, I'm online for an hour reading about all the little different intricate details about it. And my wife would often say, why, why are you on your phone just for it? And I'm like, no, but I, I like it. I was like, I'm like super interested in this. So yeah, but I feel like it's the moments out and the balance that just brings a little bit of focus and clarity back yeah. to yeah, I agree. Re yeah, re-establishing that relationship. So I'm conscious of time. Um, there was kind of a few other ones I was going to sort of run through. I think for me, the one we would always finish up on, and I was kind of nervous asking you this because you kind of like canned me on Twitter about it a little bit, was when I was talking about like people always say what keeps you up at night, and I was like, well, what gets you up in the morning? So I'm going to like caveat, not literally what gets you up in the morning. <laughs> um, I mean, like, nothing ever you know the only thing that uh, ever kept me up at night was my kids um like uh and i can sleep through pretty much anything right <laughs> um uh the thing that gets me up in the morning uh, honestly is competition right, okay um 
the thing that drives me uh, constantly, like I, I'm super, super, super proud of everything that we've done. Um, but there are things that we haven't got to yet, which I'm really excited to do. Um, and actually, there are big companies out there who I think are doing things not great for their customers who are, you know, they've got value chains and business models that aren't great. Uh, and actually, you know, I think there's so much left to do with where we're at that that's what really drives me is, uh, you know, we talk about digital banking really is only 1% finished. And for me, uh, you know, 11FS is only 1% finished as well. You know, we're, we're not even scratching the surface on what this can be. Uh, and I already feel like we're having a pretty decent impact on on the industry. You know, we're we're hearing all sorts of rumors daily about uh, you know people uh, responding to what we're doing or trying to emulate things that are out there. Uh, and I just love that. Like that's yeah. like. What was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Sam um, from the US had posted the. I think it was at a keynote somewhere, and someone behind the screen had or 0.1% finished. <laughs> so they had like That's totally great. imitated you guys. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Like we, um, you know, we've heard it with a bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of the incumbents of uh, uh, borrowed terminology, shall we say. Literally, uh, we, you know, we had uh, big management consultancy literally use one of the things that we've been saying since we started in their annual report that they posted out. Uh, and I was like, I mean, I've always been brought up to know that flattery is the most sincere uh, form of uh, uh, compliment type thing, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting. I, but it's fun. It's like um, I think we've established a tone and a and a brand that um, can do things and say things that most organisations can't. Um, yeah. You know, one of the proudest moments that I've had uh, probably over the last uh, period is when uh, you know somebody like Alison Rose has got uh, a sticker in her office. Can we swear on this podcast? I can't remember. Listen, see my co-host, Matt, I was actually terrified that you and Matt were coming on the podcast, right? Because okay. Matt, I, I feel like I need to put a parental advisory when Matt comes on. So yeah, swear away. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you know, we have a, we have a general sort of saying in, in uh, 11FS that it's, it's not about being innovative. It's actually about getting shit done. Yeah. And, uh, and actually there's a, you know, Alison's got it, three of those stickers, center of her whiteboard in her office and you can uh, buy your t-shirt as well that's that's true on the I mean, store yeah i mean yeah. I, I don't know if you, did you see there like on on social there was a i saw the guy uh, was it canada yeah was it the guy ceo of a bank yeah. in canada yeah. uh who uh get, has get bought one of those t-shirts <laughs> and it's you know it's it's things like that you know there's a big there's a big bank in new york who have that uh that that sticker literally blown up to be a uh i think it's like a four foot by eight foot poster uh up on the wall and it and like say for us it's um you know there's there's so much sort of negativity around there's so much people who are just uh you know peddling um magic beans uh you know we really won't stop until this industry is a lot better and um and i think that's uh that's the nice thing we're, we're here to do fun things we're here to work with fun people we're here to have real impact and you know we won't stop until we're done yeah i think the biggest compliment for you guys is definitely i mean when you spoke about your time at garner and garner and you said that you'd kind of almost lost your own voice i think you guys always say what those people are thinking but they're just scared to say it and i think that's quite a powerful thing because it then triggers them to think you know what this this is what i believe in so yeah Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Um, Thanks very much for having me on anyway. I appreciate you taking the time. Totally appreciate it. Thanks very much. Well, David shared so many great insights during that conversation. I love the passion that came through when he was talking about 11FS. 
I think it's clear they've got a talented group of people. They've got number one podcast, Fintech Insider, a lot of other podcasts as well, like Blockchain Insider, etc. Also Pulse, Foundry, Metal, there's so much more that you can go and take a look at. I'd really encourage you to research and learn from them because they share a lot of great content. Thanks again for your time, David. And that's us for another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back again soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Enlighten on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud. And you can rate our show. And if you want to be part of the conversation, you can tweet us at EnlightenPod. Speak to you again soon.